So for anybody that knows me knows that I'm a huge, huge fan of words and literature. Um, more specifically how words and literature pop up in popular culture. Um, in TV shows, songs, movies, etc. And how timeless some of these words of literature, poems, writings, books, uh, notes, um, hell, hieroglyphs, <laughs> that's part of it as well. Um, and so it's amazing how often these come up and how easily they're utilized and timeless in their necessity of explanation of one's position and where one person comes from. Uh, I recently started watching this show on Netflix that was recommended to me um, by some of my friends called The Crown. Uh, if you've never watched it before, it is a movie. Is it a Netflix TV series? Um, it's on its fourth season that recently came out, and it's focused on the family dynamics of the royal family in Britain. Essentially, the movie starts from King George and then heavily focuses on the reign of Queen Elizabeth II and her family's uh, matriarchal development as she reigns as sovereign uh, in Britain. Um, I'm going to fast track to the season I'm on now, which is season four, and I will try to do my best not to give any particular spoilers, however, during this season, we're introduced to several characters, mainly the focus of uh, protagonist and antagonism in the, in the fourth season is really Margaret Thatcher, um, the newly elected and first female uh, woman prime, uh, prime minister of Britain. And then we had Princess Diana, uh, from Scotland, um, who is obviously a very notable and famously celebrated celebrity and member of the uh, royal family, or former member. And that's really what the show focuses on. But I'm going to go back to Margaret Thatcher for a second, um, which prompted this conversation, which is basically, um, in one of the scenes, we find Margaret Thatcher having a talk with Queen Elizabeth, uh, essentially soon after recent changes in the British uh, Parliament cabinet were changed, per the instructions of Margaret Thatcher herself. We see in the scene, uh, Queen Elizabeth sort of questioning uh, with a little bit air of, of disbelief and also arrogance as to why Queen Elizabeth, uh, Margaret Thatcher would do so, and if she's comfortable in knowing that making enemies on the left, right, and center is a good idea. And essentially, Margaret Thatcher says, I'm comfortable if I'm cool with enemies everywhere. I think one has to be essentially be comfortable with enemies. Uh, and she offered this poem as a description as to why she has she made the decision she's made or one of the things that helped govern her decision uh, making skills as prime minister uh, it's a poem by a Chartist, uh, Chartist poet 
uh, called Charles Bouquet, um, born and died 1914 to 1814 to 1899, respectively. Um, he was a Chartist uh, who sought to bring equality to the working class in Britain uh, during his time. Uh, but he was also a poet. And a poem he wrote was, it kind of really spoke to me a lot. Uh, but before I go into it, how about, let me just read it. So as it says, you have no enemies, you say, Alas, my friend, the boast is poor. He who has mingled in the fray of duty that the brave endure must have made for foes. If you have none, small is the work that you've done. You've hit no traitor on the hip. You've dashed no cup from perjured lip. You've never turned the wrong to right. You've been a coward in this fight. Now, the reason why this kind of struck me a little bit in recent um, reflective moments of mine is essentially the acknowledgement of accepting that in life we're going to all we're going to make enemies. You know, um, enemies are not going to be a thing that don't happen. I mean, uh, as time have changed, enemies have been called many things. Uh, recent events that, and uh, recent dynamics in the world and slang and culture label enemies as haters uh these are the ones who don't want to see you be great don't want to see you shine and of no fault of your own they're just going to be members of an oppositional party to anything that position you stand on and i what i love about this poem is and i what i love about uh margaret thatcher's character whether or not it was true or fictional based is the fact that she was willing to accept in that moment, even in front of the queen, the sovereign, someone who for all intents and purposes has garnered more experience and has met with more prime ministers than Margaret Thatcher, uh, has been hip to the political climate of Britain for a long period of time and has been someone who has tried to merge healthy relationships, not only between herself and Parliament, but also between her allies, um, the American cousins during the time uh, and during this time, and also uh, foreign, foreign uh, allies as well, like Russia, uh, Middle Eastern uh, regions and things of that nature. So I think in that moment, what we saw was Margaret Thatcher not only exposing herself for her own truths and her things that got, uh, got her principles and disciplines, but we give a chance to actually see two different dichotomies and perspectives on how two women in power, if you will, or two people in power can want the same thing but have two totally opposite approaches. While one is more apathetic and selective of making enemies, the other, Margaret, is more willing to accept that enemies are going to come all from all over the place but as long as i execute my job diligently and wisely then there's really no reason for me to take any interest or be overly concerned with what amount of enemies i make um and if you don't make enemies per the understanding that i took from the poem are you really doing your job yeah if you haven't ruffled any feathers 
in the time frame of your lack of a better way of putting it time of duty or time of serving did you truly truly make the impact that you wanted to see happen um i think in this day and age specifically in the year of our lord 2020 and in recent times what we have found is that so many of us uh and I can only speak for the, the experiences of my own, but so I have found, I should say, to clarify, is that so many of us have sort of placed so many boundaries over our personal lives, uh, family, friends, um, and have done so much uh, effort into protection and preservation of our own lives to where we have lost some of the importance of ruffling feathers in order to actually see actionable change come. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm somebody who is willing to accept. I don't want like-minded individuals in the same room as me. I don't want to be bombarded or, or, or given soliloquies from yes men. Uh, I am... Ideally, what anybody is looking for when it comes to a professional setting, when it comes to getting things done, is opposing ideas, contrasting ideas that give you a chance to actually measure and challenge and analyze whether or not they're plausible to the situation at hand. But one of the, but one of the side effects of that is that we have to accept the accountability of that factor of making those enemies and having foes and ruffling those feathers. Because everybody is not going to like you. And the point of life is not to try to make everybody like you. The point of life is for you to be enjoying and living your best life the way you know how. The way you see fit that is accommodating to you, that doesn't derail, is off-putting or unbecoming to the ability of somebody else living their best life. Now, by all means, I'm not saying go out, pull up to the next... uh, wing stop and cut somebody off in front of you uh, to get your lemon pepper wings. Like, no, no, that's not, we're not using our minds. That's not using logic. We're not using wisdom doing stuff like that. All you're doing is making more of an antagonizing situation as opposed to just waiting there. You're creating an unnecessary foe and ruffling unnecessary feathers. And you, in fact, would then on that front be the coward and not the courageous one because you were so scared of, of patience <laughs> that your impatience made you an idiot and made you impractical to that and now you have an issue on your hands. So we're not saying go out and pick any small fight or every little fight. Um, I think that's one thing also too that while we engage in these things and these conversations in this new seemingly era of wokenness uh, we have to kind of find a way to compartmentalize exactly what's important and what takes priority. Uh, I don't know for, like I said, I, a lot of these comments I make specifically for myself, but I try to keep them as objective as possible, which is I think a lot of us can empathize with the understanding that in our jobs and in our tasks, we try to make things in a prioritized list. What's a priority? What's secondary? What can come next? This, that, and the third. Um, while we can have simultaneous conversations about all the many issues and many things at hand, 
it's still important for us to make sure that we execute those conversations in a way that actually gets it done, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of future. Uh, I think we have become so sensitive to desensification. Uh, and what I mean by that is that people are so overly protective of themselves that they become less they're so apathetic of their own situation, they become less sympathetic of everybody else's. And now you're finding yourself wondering, does anybody care about the issues I have? Does anybody, uh, a true ally in that regard of making sure that the issues that I care about are, are listened to? Uh, are we allowing ourselves to foster environments uh, and, and safe spaces to allow people to express themselves. If you feel like you can't, if, you, if those questions aren't, are hard to answer or are unsure, then we have a lot, as you can see, we have a lot of work to do. We have so, we've come so far, but we have so much farther to go. Uh, and some of this stuff are not hard steps to make. Uh, I was reading a book recently where it expressed the idea of conversation and understanding Starts with first getting out of your own way and accepting that there is a level of understanding that you could be missing. The point of dialogue and having a conversation and growth is to first understand and then be understood. I think we sometimes rush into trying to make sure everybody understands where we're coming from and hopefully all our points stick to the wall. And meanwhile, you got stuff falling on the ground because... You're scattered brain, you're all over the place, you're on this situation, that situation, and yes, the passion is there. We hear the passion, we hear the care. Passion is very, very important. Passion breeds sincerity. Uh, and one thing with passion and sincerity, you can always know, you can tell where a person stands when they're actually passionate about something because they believe and mean that shit. When somebody's sitting there arguing with you and they, you see them getting rowdy and their energy is going up, it's because they believe in that stuff. It's because they believe in what they say. It's because their convictions have convinced them enough that whatever the consequences from that conversation will be, they're strong enough to believe what they're saying is, some, is a foundational piece to stand on. And so many of us do this on a regular basis and then forget that the fact that the, point, the other side of the conversation was to shut up and fucking listen. How can you have a conversation with somebody if the only thing that's being said is coming out of your mouth? Huh? So we really, we really, really, really need to evaluate uh, the process and how we create foes. However, I don't want it to miss the point of the fact that I that having foes is not something that we should be anybody should be afraid or shy away from. Enemies, foes, and haters are a factor of life. They're not going anywhere. You're going to get more. You're going to lose some. Some enemies are going to become friends. Some friends are going to become enemies. It's a factor of life. Uh, and we can get in depth with it about what causes that and why things change. But at the end of the day, on a, sur on a superficial and surface, uh, surface level, the point of it all is the fact that you're going to cross paths with people that require you to make hard decisions. And one of the biggest decisions about that or one of the hardest decisions you'll have to make is what side of the line do you stand on because when the line is drawn in the sand a stand must be made 
there comes a point in every man and woman's life where they must always pick a side. And I know, at least for me, one of the biggest things that I'm always worried about and not so much worried about, but always conscious enough to be concerned about is what side of history would I fall on? Am I going to be someone who looks back and says that I did not hit a traitor on the hip? Am I going to be the type of person who looks back and says, I dash no cup from perjured lips? Am I going to be the type of person who looks back and says, I did nothing to turn wrongs into rights? Because when you, when we get, you get to that point in your life where you realize what you do has marital impact, not just to you, but your community and the environment and, and, and things that you impact, you really start to appreciate more and more the value of your relationships and the value of what you contribute in those relationships and how that'll impact exactly what happens and where you go from there. Uh, so for me, this poem uh, is a recently new favorite. Uh, again, it's called No Enemies by Charles McKay. I think one of the things for me that made this poem resonate so much in recent time is that I've been seeing an unwavering trend of relationship patterns, ones that have been broken and ones that more importantly are in a stage of looking to be repaired and redeemed. And there are many antidotes to that, which uh, I can use as an example. For example, uh, I recently watched on HBO Max. And as this stuff goes on, I want you to know this is raw. None of this is perfect. Um, I'm kind of just really just trying to get a feel for a lot of how this stuff will flow out. So we're going to work out the kinks later, but this is just a test episode. But one of the things recently I watched, uh, was on HBO Max is the Fresh Prince reunion. If you haven't had the pleasure of watching this show recently or this reunion show recently, I encourage you to watch it. If you're like myself, a nineties baby, a millennial or anybody in general who has had a wholehearted appreciation for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air show starring Will Smith. Um, you would really understand exactly why it was such a deep emotional connection for many of us who enjoyed the show growing up. Uh, again, we can go in depth into some of the chakras and nuances of the show and what the representations of it all were. But the main thing I wanted to focus on real quick from that show and the takeaway I wanted to have as it relates to this particular episode was their conversation and relationship between Will Smith and Janet Hubert. Now, those of you who don't know, Janet Hubert was the original Aunt Vivian cast on Fresh Prince. She lasted between season one to season three and then was sub subsequently replaced by, uh, what's my girl? Daphne Reed. Her name escaped me, but so was subsequently replaced by Daphne Reed uh, from season four until the end of the uh, series. Now, from what we understood up until now, there was a feud that existed over the past 
27 plus years, almost 30 years, three decades between Will and Janet Hubert about what actually took place around her exiting of the show. Again, I implore you to watch it yourself so that you can actually listen from them themselves where their perspective and mindsets were and where they were coming from. I don't want to spend too much time focusing on what happened since the exit of the show. More so, I want to focus on what happened that caused the exit and where we're at now and how that relates to what I've said previously about foes and, foes and enemies. So essentially, to simplify it, Janet Hubert was given an ultimatum, per my understanding and per her words in the reunion, about limited uh, uh, working roles and working jobs she could take. She was also pregnant at the time. Um, she was a senior sort of seasonal season actor. Uh, Janet Hubert, she went to Juilliard. She could sing. She could dance. She was on Broadway. Her and James Avery, the gentleman who played uh, Uncle Phil, and on that note, always, first of always, rest in peace to Uncle Phil, for real. Um, but for Janet, her and James were kind of like the cast mother and father. They were the older ones. They had the professionalism. They had the track record. They had the acumen. They had the prowess. They had all of this that they felt gave them the type of notoriety to want to have and be in a professional environment. So that's what Brandon brought to the table. She was used to dealing with professionals. Now, you're on a show. The name of the show is, and the face of the show, is this new kid on the block from West Philly. He's in his early 20s. He's from an urban environment, new to money. Honestly, in it, from his situation uh, with uh, being a rapper in Philly, he was also in debt to the IRS. I believe he was in millions of dollars in debt to the IRS at the time of the beginning of the Fr Will, uh, Fresh Prince show. Uh, so this young man, Will Smith, comes on the scene, flies out to L.A., and then is offered a gig by the network uh, to be the face of this new uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air show, which they cater to be a little bit more Philly inclusive uh, in the dynamics of all of it. Uh, so they're on the show working. Obviously, he's doing this thing. Will has his personality uh, working. Jada, uh, Janet has hers. Well, obviously, when you have a person who's vibrant, new to the scene and not prevy to the professional climate that you're used to, and then you have somebody who's more so, not necessarily rigid, but very strategically in line with exactly what their expectations, with their professionalism and the setting that they want are, you're going to have moments of clashing. You're going to have people, and it's just human nature, where people just aren't always on the same page. Um, so... What happened was Janet began to find herself more so as a recluse a little bit. She wasn't hanging out with the cast or doing all that stuff. She was just coming to work, doing her job. And the lack of professionalism from what I grasped was sort of kind of the thing, missing anecdotal piece that probably could have actually helped in the professional setting of things was the professionalism. And But also there were outside factors for herself, not limited, including but not limited to her being pregnant and also going through an abusive relationship. Uh, with who she was with at the time. So, obviously, as we can see, there's a, multi a multitude of things that are contributing to Janet's own personal psyche. She's not expressing this to cast members, anything like that. Cast doesn't know. The only person who's privy to the, to the 
insight, if all at all, is Will. Now, for Will, he's not hip to all these issues going on with Janet. He, all he sees is ambition. And as he put it, he wanted to be the biggest name in the world as far as movie stardom, as far as star power, all of that. He thought by doing that, it would give him the money he needed to keep women, the clout he needed to keep his family situations at bay, and essentially give him the status he would want to have in life. And nothing was going to stop that, especially at, at, for, for somebody at uh, in their 20s. And we all know that somebody in their 20s is very ambitious, very raw, very self-centered as far as their interests and what their interests align. So his ambition overtook and overshadowed the help that he probably could have professionally provided uh, Janet at the time. So moving forward, Janet became more of a recluse on set. Uh, there was a, a presumed air of, of arrogance that I guess many of the members or whoever was on cast or staff, whatever felt that she had. So the network gave her ultimatum, said, well, we're going to reduce some of the role on the show for you, but you also can't work any other sh shows, which kind of dampened and cut her salary that she you would typically make for whatever that's average salary for what she was making is. So she said no, and rightfully so. She said, this isn't going to work for me. This is not okay for me, so I'll walk. So they said, cool, we'll replace you. Now, subsequently after that, that's when... Uh, Will Smith, as well as Janet, take it upon themselves and whoever the powers that be or whatever allow themselves to go on public record and on public on like on sort of a self branding campaign um, to legitimize what happened and who they were. Um, Janet's coming from a position of where she was wronged. Will's coming from a position of she thinks she's entitled to this. Now let me make a point here is this is the moment where we start to see the development of enemies come into play between these two. They were originally friends, originally uh, cordial with each other, but it wasn't until after an exit where, and after a decision was made on, from Janet's perspective, where new enemies were formed. And these are the moments where, going back to what I was originally saying, where making those enemies are perfectly okay and perfectly understandable. Because you either stand for something or fall for anything. And what Janet did was she stood on principle for things that she felt as though were important to her. She stood on principle on things that she felt were being taken advantage of from her perspective. So she walked away. And her walking away bred enemies both from the cast, both from the network, and both from other people. And we all know everybody is, some people just as fickle as fuck. Some people are petty. Some people are naive. No matter what stage of, in, of the game in life they're in, they can have... A PhD and they could be swimming in the streets uh, on, on broad anomaly here in Philadelphia in Kensington you so but the placement of somebody's uh, environment doesn't always dictate the maturity level and how they're able to handle situations and we all have been in, in experiences dealing with stuff like that so uh, that this is where the enemy started the enemy thing developed from them and I have to say wholeheartedly i Completely understand where Janet came from from that position. Now, fast forward, it's been 30 years. They've traded words that has come out from them, 
words have come out on, from their camps on behalf of each other. So it's 30 years have gone by where they've actually never communicated. They've never actually had a sit, sit down conversation. So 30 years later, the reunion is here. So now Will feels like it's the right time because he has been recently uh, on this self-discovery and self-development kick um, to try to fix and show the vulnerabilities in his own life. And this is obviously one of the biggest regrettable relationships that he has developed or lack thereof um, with somebody that he knew and originally had a love for. He himself said he viewed this woman, Janet Hubert, as a mother on set. Um, so, and he, someone that he craved approval from. These are his words, not mine now. Um, so as you can see from him, the loss of a friend turned enemy that you also view as a mentor, as you view as a, as in a matriarchal uh, concept, obviously it's going to cause you to feel like I'm going to put a blockade and now we're enemies, now we're colliding and stuff like that. So he did that. Well, fast forward, he came up, the reunion, he had her on the show. They had a brief conversation. Will, in turn, took that conversation and uh, escalated it to a platform that he and his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, used on Facebook called the Red Table Talk uh, station and located in the Smith's household where they try to talk about their own Uh, shortcomings, if you will, and what they could have done better uh, on certain situations. I'm not going to lie. Some of the stuff that falls out of their mouth and that family to me is a little bit bullshit. It's also sometimes for me sounding a little bit self-serving and self-congratulatory. And I also sometimes feel like there's no legitimate or sincere accountability that is being met on that table talk, but that's a different conversation. But I bring that up because I saw notes and nuances of that while I was watching Will Smith's table talk talking about Janet Hubert. So he had a therapist on the show as well and discussing this with him. Now, he has expressed that right now what they're doing is trying to take steps to repairing their relationship. Um, but to circle back to the conversation I was having about creating enemies is sooner or later when you create certain enemies there comes a time where either you accept the status of that relationship and move on or you make a conscious effort to try to want to repair them i personally think 30 years going going by without talking to each other is extremely long uh very toxic and they both could have done better on that front as far as expressing to each other exactly where they're coming from I personally think Janet could have done a little bit of a better job maybe communicating to Will or trying to have a private conversation, sit down with him about explaining where she was coming from. Because Will said he had no idea what perspective she was on. She in turn said she knew that he didn't know. So that signifies to me that there's a lack, the missing, one of the missing components to your relationship is the communication and the transparency. There was literally no communication and transparency over the past 27 plus years that could have given you guys a chance to rectify this sooner and then could have given Janet the peace of mind and the professional courtesy that she could have need could have been allowed to get back and work. Because as we know, Janet was greatly and strangely blackballed in the black community, in Hollywood, as a professional, as a mother, as a black woman. Like she was extremely lambashed hard and heavy for some of the stuff that she uh, for what she did. And again, these are coming from people and out external things. They have no idea what's going on.
Um, so, and on that front, I want to make it a note to remind people that in your effort of creating enemies, when you're creating enemies, you have to understand that there's a six degrees of separation in everything that we do too. So while when you make an enemy, remember that that person you just made an enemy has now new enemies who are your camp because they're going to take your side. They're not going to take her side. When you're somebody like Will, who started off and now has developed into becoming one of the biggest names in Hollywood on the planet, obviously, and you're going against a woman like Janet Hubert, who was blackballed early on in your career, and you couple that with the notion of this being an iconic show that many a generations if many a people have grown to love even today obviously the enemies that she created primarily just between her will and the network translated into enemies of her will the network hollywood the black community and the world so we have to very 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 be uh strategic and mindful at times about how we create these enemies and i think and the scene I watched with Queen Elizabeth II and Margaret Thatcher in Netflix is The Crown illustrated a strategic level of, crea of the creation of enemies. And the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion showed a immature and naive way of creating enemies. And we have to make sure that while we are engaging, persuading and dissuading other people, we're making sure we're separating the choices we make between what's necessary to do and what's easier to get off your chest that has no greater benefit to that there's no there's no return good return coming from that uh i can go on on this later i really just wanted to get some of this stuff off of my chest there's more things i wanted to talk about um uh, but like i said i woke up this morning i watched this episode that had this poem in it incorporated in it maybe about a week ago and I woke up this morning I write stuff down it was still stuck in my head um, so I just had to get the stuff off my chest again this is just a test episode I'm just trying to get to make uh, get a feel for how things are going uh, if you're listening to this please don't hesitate to give me some feedback obviously we'll work on the ums the likes and all that other stuff we'll work on the, the delivery and all that other stuff but I truly want you guys to take away from this conversation the understanding of the creation of enemies and how to do them wisely and also the ex understanding and the acceptance of the accountability and the consequences in doing so. And that there are ways and then there are ways of going about creating them. So as always, thank you all for listening. Uh, we have more coming in store for you. Some will be serious, some will be humorous. We appreciate y'all for giving us a chance to listen to some of our spill and some of our tangents. You can follow us on Instagram, Son of a Preacher Man. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Son of a Preacher Man as well. God loves you. We do too. Stay true. And we out. <laughs>